0: Hello, 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 and welcome to Degree of Difficulty. My name is Aaron Johnson. I appreciate you rocking with me with Evgitch you Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share with your friends, family, you know, including Grandma Grandmama down the street. In this week's episode, I'm going to give my midseason grades and awards in the NBA leading into All Star Weekend. And I'm going to wrap things up with a first hand account of the opening week of the XFL from somebody who was there. Pete Paguaga of Game Time CT joins me to talk about the sights and sounds of the New York Guardians and Tampa Bay Vipers game. But before all of that, I'm going to kick things off with some of this. I was going to take a headlong dive into this potential MLB playoff expansion thing that was going to happen. And that was going to be what I was going to start things off for this week. But then this Houston Astros press conference started on Thursday, and I, it, it blew my mind. The, the level of hubris blew my mind. It was unbelievable. When I sat down and I watched Jim Crane's words, the owner of the Houston Astros, Talk about this whole scandal that's been going on in Houston with the sign-stealing that everybody knows about and is deeper than everybody believes the MLB is leading on, whether it's people thinking that there were definitely buzzers going on with some of the players, like I think, whether there's more levels to the cheating that actually was going on. You know, pitchers and catchers just reported this week, and the Houston Astros are there. There's a huge press conference down in Florida at their facility, and Crane came out and said some some insane things. Just it was it, ah. You know our opinion is, uh, you know that this didn't impact the game. Um, we had a good team. Um, we won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. Didn't impact the game? The what? The oh my gosh! The the audacity to sit there and with a straight face say that. You don't think that your team cheating impacted the game of baseball. Not only has this been the biggest story since it's come out, not only has there been a full investigation, not only have managers been fired, including your manager, not only have GMs been fired, including your GM, but there is a potential here that if this blows up, players are going to get involved with this. And I do think it eventually is going to blow up. This is going to go the way of Jose Canseco and the steroids. All it's going to take is one player. One player that was on that Houston Astros team, whether it's this year, next year, 10 years from now 12 years from now 15 whatever it might be someone from this houston astros team is going to come on some type of 60 minutes or write some type of book or do something where they're going to delve into this and everything's going to hit the fan and do i eventually think they're going to take away the 2017 championship i don't know i said this before in a podcast i did a couple weeks ago i don't know if they're going to do that it would be unprecedented because they've never really done something like that it would remind you of college sports where they vacate a championship and I don't think they're going to do that I don't but you never know I just it, it blows my mind to sit here and watch Crane say these things and say that he doesn't think it impacted the game Houston the entire time this has been going on the Astros have had a level of prideful arrogance about this whether it's Altuve whether it's Brengman, now the owner you gotta be kidding me Alex Cora's been fired. Carlos Beltran was fired before he even did anything, before he even stepped on the field at City Field to manage the Mets, before he even got down to Port St. Lucie to manage the Mets in spring training, he was fired. I don't even think the ink was dry on his contract and he got fired. You've had all this crap that's going around the Astros. Everybody knows they cheated. I think everyone does, and I said this before, I do think everyone thinks that it's more than what they've been leading on. To sit here and say those things, it just shows how hated the Astros are going to be for one this season. But it just shows how out of touch they are where they really don't think they did anything wrong. I mean, I don't know the last time where we have seen a team, like an overall team that is going to be hated as much as the Houston Astros are. I'm a Yankee fan, so you're not going to hear me wax poetically about the Astros, especially after the last couple times that they've done us in the postseason. But it's going to be league-wide now. It is from Miami out to L.A., out to the Angel Stadium, down over in Arlington. It doesn't matter where they go. They are going to be booed, and this is just adding fuel to the fire. And to be honest with you, the Astros aren't better than they were last year. They won the pennant last year. Who knows if they were doing all this cheating stuff then. I'm going to say it was only in 2017, but, again, I don't know. But they're not better than they were last year. Garrett Cole is wearing pinstripes. That's where we're starting with this. So – the amount of hubris, it is truly mind-blowing. It really, it, it, I can't even believe it. Like, I'm sitting here, and it's still playing on my other screen, and I am, I'm shocked. Like, I don't think you had to go up there and cry and carry on and say, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't mean to do it. It was our fault. Like, I don't think you got to do all of that. But to say you didn't impact the game at all, even a little bit, I mean, it's already just impacted the news cycle surrounding the game. Nobody's talking about spring training. Nobody's talking about Garrett Cole on the Yankees. Nobody's talking about the fact that there's a new manager in several different places. Nobody's talking about the fact that baseball starting. Nobody's talking about pitchers or catchers. Every single major league team is answering questions about the Houston Astros and whether or not you think they cheated. Do you think it affected them? Look, And you're just going to sit there and be like, nope, nope. Like, nope, No, nah, not us. Nope, I don't think it impacted it at all. You know, nah, not even a little bit. Not even a smidge. Not even a tiny bit. I mean, my goodness, the gall on this guy, the cojones, the cojones, like, come on, (laughs) man, do I want Houston to lose? I can't like, I thought it was, it was high before, but now it is, it is through the roof. I am not going to be a fan of the Houston Astros anytime soon, but man, do I hope they start losing goodness gracious. I want to hop over to the original MLB story I was going to talk about, which is this whole idea of the playoffs extension going from five teams to seven teams. And now uh, the best team in the league gets a bye. So it is, it is really crazy, to be honest with you. And so it was broke earlier this week in a story by Joel Sherman of the New York Post that the MLB is seriously weighing a move from five teams to seven teams beginning in 2022. Now the concept, and I'm reading straight from Sherman's story, the concept, the team with the best record in each league would receive a buy to avoid the wild card round and go directly to the divisional series. The two other division winners and the wild card with the next best record, so the number one wild card team in a sense, would each host three games in a best of three wild card round so the bottom three wildcard teams would have no first-round home games. The division winner with the second-best record in the league would then get the first pick of its opponents from those lower three wildcard teams. This is where it gets crazy for me. This is where it gets really, really dumb. Then the other division winners would pick, leaving the last two wildcard teams to play each other. It really is dumb. I think that part of it especially is dumb. When I first read this story, I looked back and I sat back, and I'm somebody who loves baseball. I'm somebody who can watch baseball on television, who could go to a game. It doesn't matter. I love watching the Little League World Series. I love watching the Big Boys World Series. I love watching everything that has to do with baseball. Give me a nice Sunday day in July where it's hot as I don't know what outside, sitting down on the couch in front of the AC, I'm watching baseball. I love it. But with all of that being said, my first thought was, hey, more baseball. This this seems all right i started hearing more things about it i started reading a little bit more and while it would be more baseball there are several things that couldn't happen for this to work one this is in the nba you can't have teams without a 500 record getting into the postseason that's ridiculous and even in the nba when that happens it's a very very awful showing it's just it's just bad television when you hit the number one seed in the NBA playoffs going up against a number eight seed in the NBA playoffs that doesn't have a winning percentage over 500 that are coming in there limping in, it's a waste of four games. Essentially, it's a waste of four games. So the MLB doing that, I already thought about and said, eh, I, I don't like that. I like that they're trying new things. I will say that. I like that they're they're pitching new ideas, but the reason why they're pitching it isn't for the love of the game. It really isn't. I mean, they're pitching this for a TV deal. They're pitching this for more games, for more postseason games, for more elimination games that are going to be good for viewership, quote-unquote good for viewership, because they have a TV deal that's expiring with Fox, who is the exclusive broadcaster of the World Series, two-division series, and the League Championship Series, that's going to run until 2028. They have an MLB deal with ESPN and Turner that's going to run till 2021 which is coincidentally the same time the collective bargaining agreement runs out. So they could kind of try and format this to say, hey, look, we have more postseason games. We have more chances of clinching scenarios where it's like, hey, teams could actually lose here. Teams could, you know, their seasons can end. So it's going to be more viewership. And I don't think it's going to work. I think that's a horrible approach to have going into this. If they're doing it because they're like, hey, we want more baseball. I'm like, hey, that's cool. I could watch baseball in my sleep. I love this. But if they're doing it to try and get TV deals for a viewership that is already depleting, that's never going to be the NFL, that's not even going to be the NBA postseason, because the NBA regular season viewership is horrible, but at least the NBA postseason starts to you know pick up a little bit. It's not going to be a viewership of even some esports, which is going to shock some people, but look at the numbers. And so it's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of really money, if you think about it, unless they get that deal. But I don't think I don't even think they will. The players have to sign off on this, which I don't think they have. A lot of players have already come out and said, this is ridiculous. The pitcher Trevor Byrne has come out, and, I mean, he's never been Commissioner Rob Manford's favorite person in the world, but he even came out and said, this is just dumb. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but he's essentially said, this is just dumb. And a lot of people have come out saying a lot of you know, negative things about it. And the one positive thing I'll say about it is, like I said before, at least they're trying something to get viewership, but I don't think this is the right approach. I really don't. I would love to watch more baseball, but not if it means that a team that's under 500 is going to go into the, the playoffs. I think that's dumb. On top of the fact you're going to get bulletin board fodder to some of these teams, the Yankees come in and be like, you know what, we beat up on the, uh, the Twins this year, so let, let's get up the Twins. Let's, let's take the Twins in, in the first round. Don't get me wrong, as a fan, I love seeing the Twins in the postseason. It actually makes my heart feel good. I think it's good for my health watching the Twins play the Yankees in, in the playoffs. But the Twins are going to actually have that. The twins are going to have that on paper. Brian Cashman on television. They're trying to televise this thing. This thing is so dumb. That's the part that I think is just so asinine. You're not the NBA. You can't do these kind of things. The NBA can have LeBron James and Giannis Kumbo sitting on national television talking about, yeah, I want that player for the all-star game. One, it's an exhibition game. Two, the NBA is a league full of faces and full of stars. Unless you're a baseball purist, you're not really going to know who Brian Cashman is. I'm sorry. So that aspect of it is just dumb. You can't turn it into an event like the NFL draft because you can't do anything that the NFL does because the NFL is king. So from all these aspects of it, it just it seems like a dumb idea. It seems like they're trying to solve a problem with the wrong approach. That's how I look at it. Because, yeah, there's a problem in viewership. Yeah, there's a problem with people not being interested in baseball. But what are you going to do about that? And I don't think this is really – what do you do about people not watching baseball? Give them more baseball. Like I said, I love watching baseball. But I'm somebody who loves watching baseball. I have plenty of friends and plenty of people that don't like watching baseball. They'll go to a game. But they don't want to sit down for three and a half hours and watch a game. And speaking of time limits and three and a half hours, I hate this new rule about the relief pitchers. I think it's stupid. I think it's so stupid it hurts. The new rule where a relief pitcher has to come in and face at least three batters. Unless they're coming in and closing out an inning, then they can only face the one guy, get him out, inning over. But they have to come in for a minimum of three batters. I hate this rule at its very core. Because you're taking away from the game of baseball now. Now you're changing things that don't need to be changed. It is a strategic thing to have a lefty coming up and getting a lefty specialist coming out of the pen. You have that one guy come in, he gets the lefty out, or he doesn't get the lefty out. That's a part of the game. And actually, it's one of the more exciting parts of the game for not only baseball purists, but just for anybody that watches the game. I can sit down with my girlfriend, and she can ask me, you know, why did they have to stop the game to bring this guy in? I can explain to her that it's tougher for a left-handed batter to face against a left-handed pitcher. And because of that, the advantage is a toss-up. We don't really know which way it's going to go. It's a specialist. And I hate the, I hate that. just I hate the idea that guys are supposed to be able to get anybody out. I understand that. I get that. You're a professional athlete. You're a professional pitcher. Yeah, you're supposed to get anybody out. But your specialty as a left-handed pitcher is to go up against a left-handed batter and get that guy out. So it, it adds a nuance to the game that you're taking away, a strategic nuance that you're taking away from the game of baseball that has been there for decades, on top of the fact that it makes it easier for managers that aren't as good with swapping around and playing the matchups as others. So you're going to sit here and take a great manager and handicap him in a sense against a manager that isn't as good as him and now has even playing field. It's not even playing field in the way that the Astros like to play even playing field. It's even playing field in the sense of strategy. I am strategizing better than you. If you look at the NFL, they're not taking screen passes and gadget plays out of the playbook because they said, oh, well, you can't have a strategic advantage over the guy. That's sports. That's the nature of the business. So, putting in the three pitch minimum isn't going to stop the game from being slow. The game's going to be what it is. It's going to be a two and a half, three and a half hour game. We get in the postseason when all these pitching changes got made. The baseball purist who is still watching in the postseason, because remember that viewership thing, the baseball purist that is still watching in the postseason loves seeing these matchups. Not a hard thing, man. R- really, not a hard thing. It is as dumb a decision as I have seen in a very long time. And I I hate it. I absolutely hate it. So I'm not even going into it with a little bit of skepticism. I'm going into it with a ton of skepticism. I think I'm going to hate it because I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be like, why can't I bring in my lefty to get out the one lefty guy? Why do I have to leave my lefty in to now get out the right handed guy? Like, why, 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 why? I I just I hate it. But at least baseball's back. All this crap swarming around and we still haven't even gotten on the diamond yet. With All-Star Weekend upon us, it's time to take a look back on how the first half of the NBA season went down. I got a couple names here for where my awards are going to go for the midseason, and it Kinda of was harder than I thought it was gonna be for a couple of these. Uh so I'm just gonna dive right into it. First off, MVP award. Gotta go again to Giannis Atetakumboo. I just like saying that Giannis Atitekumbo. I'm gonna give Giannis the MVPs having another great year, averaging 30 points, 13 and a half rebounds, five point eight assists on the number one team in the Eastern Conference. But before Giannis even he's missed a couple games because he just had the birth of his child, but you know, he's the captain again of the all-star team along with LeBron James. LeBron is another name that's getting tossed out there. LeBron's having another stellar season. But I always feel like there's going to be that voter fatigue with LeBron because you can give LeBron the MVP, honestly, almost every year. A name that's starting to get a little bit more push now that I think you got to watch in case they sneak into the playoffs and you know he's the big catalyst for that is going to be Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is having not quietly so much because People aren't looking at Damian Lillard as a quiet player anymore, even though he's, you know, out in the sticks in Portland. I mean, people don't even remember that Portland was in the Western Conference finals last year because of Damian Lillard. Obviously, they think about, you know, the shot he hit over the Thunder, you know, ending the season and Russell Westbrook and Paul George's career in Oklahoma City, but still, Damian Lillard is having a great season. 29.5 points, 7.9 assists, 4.5 rebounds, Dame Dollar. And he dropped a pretty good album, but that's you know, that's off the court. But I think Damian Lillard is somebody you can look out for for potentially giving Giannis some pressure. But if it continues to trend this way and the Bucks run away with the East, Giannis is gonna be the MVP. It's a really similar race when you look at rookie of the year. Who knows what would have happened if Zion played this entire season? But he didn't, and he's averaging you know twenty one points now. But he's played nine games. John Morant is above and beyond the best rookie that's playing right now. It hurts me not to say R J Barrett, but it it hasn't been. I wish it was R J Barrett. I would love for it to have been R J Barrett, but it's really been John Morant. Seventeen point six points a game leads all rookies. Seven point one assists per game leads all rookies. He's averaging also three and a half rebounds. He's had highlight plays. He's done so much for the Grizzlies already. And that's a team that you're definitely going to have to look out for because John Morant, unless injuries impact him, is going to be a superstar. You can kind of see the writing on the wall. And with a guy like that who comes into the league and just has this huge explosiveness about him, the way that he runs the floor, the way that he commands an offense, the way that he, he commands a double team already in his first season. I mean, are you kidding me? So John Moran is definitely going to be my Rookie of the Year. I look at Defensive Player of the Year, and this is when I started to have my first little bit of trouble here because a lot of guys came out at me. I mean, even Andre Drummond came out at me, and people were going to be like, Andre Drummond? Where is that coming from? Look at the stats. Andre Drummond leads the NBA in rebounding. Andre Drummond is top five in steals as a seven-footer. So, I mean, like that's, it's crazy. But – And I did. I tossed with this. I was like, Giannis. But then, no, I don't think Giannis is having that great of a defensive year. Like, he is, but he's not. I mean, he's not that high up in block shots. I look at the stats. I got to go with Rudy Gobert again. And it kind of pains me to do this. And Rudy Gobert just has been having a great season. Second in the NBA rebounds, fifth in the NBA in block shots. He's that stalwart defensive presence in the middle for Utah. My only fear with Rudy Gobert getting the defensive player of the year again is that, you know, kind of how LeBron is with the MVP, that voter fatigue can start to set in because Gobert's already won it a couple times. But I got Rudy Gobert as defensive player of the year. Sixth man of the year, again, Struggle with this. And it wasn't even just like a regular struggle because these are teammates. And I would love for them to split it right in half and maybe give, you know, do like a co-sixth man of the year. But I don't know if they could do that. But. I had Lou Williams over Montrez Harrell. And the Clippers just have been amazing with their bench. They got the best bench, I think, in the NBA. It's just spectacular some of the things they can do with the guys that they're pulling off the bench. And Lou Will, you know, he's six-man like Lou Will for a reason. 19 points a game, five assists a game. Lou Will just does so much that you got to always have his name in there as the six-man. He's not really a six-man, but he is a six-man because he comes off the bench. And because most of his minutes are off the bench... But he he is. Lou Will is spectacular again, so I gotta go here. The hardest one I struggle with, and this is probably gonna be the one I get the most flack from from true blue, you know, basketball fans, is the most improved player. Three names jumped out at me. Bam Adebayo from Miami, Brandon Ingram from New Orleans, and Devontae Graham from Charlotte. And at first I was like, all right, well, Bam is having a great year for Miami. Miami is shocking everyone with the kind of play they've had. They're, you know, top four, I believe, in the Eastern Conference. They're having a great season. Jimmy Butler has them boys playing amazing basketball. And Bam is really the catalyst for that in the middle, holding the middle down. He's had a really, really good season, especially when you look at his stats. He averaged 8.9 points a game last year. That's up to 15.8 at the break. He averaged 7.3 rebounds. That's up to 10.4 this year. He averaged 2.2 assists. That's even up to 4.9 this year. So he's also... Dishing the ball out about five times a game. So, Bam is having great numbers, and he's an all-star for a deserved reason. Same thing with Brandon Ingram. And Brandon Ingram, as I've said in previous podcasts, I think Brandon Ingram is going to be a superstar. I mean, it's his fourth year in the NBA, and he's already an all-star. His numbers have improved every single season. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if any of these guys win it, but Brandon Ingram, for me, is the guy that I look at and say, well, he's the superstar. His numbers have gone up this year 18.3 points a game last year to 24.9, almost 25 points a game coming in for Brandon Ingram. He's averaging a little bit better with rebounding, about five rebounds a game last year up to 6.4, and then a little bit better with assists, three assists last year up to 4.2. But the guy I got to give my most improved player to this year has to be Devontae Graham, the point guard from the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, are you kidding me with this guy? And I did. I struggled with this. I was like, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, when you look at the comparison, he played in only 46 games last year. That's already up to 54 this year. He only started three games last year. He started 44 this year. His minutes have gone up. Everything has gone up about him, and his stat jump has been insane. Dude averaged 4.7 points a game last year, 2.6 assists. That is up to 18.1 points this season, 7.8 assists. I mean, that is a leap of It has to be historic proportion. I mean, Devontae Graham has been balling out of his mind this season, and I got to give it to him. I got to give him the props. I love Bam. I love Brandon Ingram. But when you look at the numbers and when you look at the stats, I get it. The Hornets are horrible. The Hornets are awful. Bam's got the Heat sitting at top four, top five, top three, maybe in the Eastern Conference. You got Brandon Ingram fighting for a playoff spot in New Orleans, so they're obviously better. The Hornets are at the cellar of the NBA. I get all of that. But when you go in the NBA, you jump from four points a game to eighteen. When you jump from two point six assists to seven, almost eight assists a game, yeah, no, that's gonna that's gonna always pop some eyes out. Especially mine. And I think that's why Devontae Graham gets my most improved player. So those are my picks for the midway point of the season. Really excited to see how the rest of it goes, but we gonna see. This past weekend was the first week of the XFL, and to dive into it a little bit, I brought somebody on here that not only was at the game, but is an avid football fan. Pete Paguaga joins us here on Degree of Difficulty. Pete's the senior producer for Game Time CT, and Pete and I go way back because we're both Southern Connecticut State University journalism graduates, so Pete, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Really good to have you.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, Like you said, yeah, we go way back. I want to say you wrote for me when I was the sports editor of the Southern News, and then I think you followed. Then it was Flynn, then you, then Zampano. There's a really good lineage. and Even before me, Jeff Nowak, I mean, there's a nice lineage of Southern grads that, uh, you know, we all kind of still try and stay in contact with. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it really is. I said that B-52 or B-72, I should say, with Professor Harris, that always uh, kind of rears its head <laughs> to back
1: around. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I've actually been at Southern the last couple of weeks, um, hanging out in, in one of Jerry's classes, and I get to run into all the professors all the time, and I still see Professor Harris, and he's got his red pen on the wall still, so...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, the reason why I wanted to, like I said, have you on, talk a little bit about the XFL. So, you were down at MetLife Stadium on on Saturday or Sunday to uh, watch the New York Guardians twenty three to three win over the uh, Tampa Bay Vipers. So, uh, really, what was that whole experience like for you? Uh, right off the bat, I mean, when
1: you know we they announced that the team was coming to New York, and and again, there was the team back in you know the first XFL, uh, the Hitmen and uh I, you know i texted a couple of buddies from home I, I was going back to long island uh that weekend where i'm originally from so i texted a couple of buddies i was like hey i was like i know we're gonna hang out and like get together and like you know probably go out to dinner and like you know just like hang out and i was like but what if we went to the xfl game instead and they were like yeah that's a great idea so we were, we just were like why not like what's What's either the league succeeds and we're there for the first game or the league fails miserably. And we were there for the first and only game or something like that, you know. So it was just kind of a decision. We're all football fans. We're like, let's just go check it out. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot cheaper than going to a Giants game.
0: So Pete, did you, and you talked about the uh, New York, New Jersey hitman. Did you watch the XFL during his first incarnation back in 2001?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was 11 then, um, but I do remember watching the first, like the opener where they didn't have the coin toss. They had the, uh, like, they had to like run for the ball and the one guy got hurt. Um, You know, you remember kind of those things. I think I might've watched it the first couple of weeks, but then it like, you know, I was 11, I was playing basketball or playing baseball. And I just, you know, growing up watching football, like my dad would be like, Oh, the Giants games on, we'd watch the Giants. And so unless my dad was like, Hey, let's watch the the Hitmen," <laughs> then I wasn't probably watching it.
0: See, that was the thing. My pops was very similar where, you know, he, it was on in the background, maybe that first week or two. But then after that, he didn't really deal with it too much. And so I wasn't really dealing with it too much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, I'll be honest, like, obviously you remember it because, like, it happened. It's the same thing with uh, the USFL or, or whatever that league was that had the Hartford Colonials when we were in college. Um, you, would like, kind of remember them, but you don't really, you know, you remember, like, oh, then he hate me came out of it, Rod Smart. And when he was in the Super Bowl, it came up. Oh, he was in XFL. Then Tommy Maddox goes back to the NFL, leads the Steelers to the AFC Championship, and, you know, it's crazy to think, but most people like our age are like, oh, Tommy Maddox, he was the XFL MVP. But a lot of people don't, you know, kind of forget that Tommy Maddox was a first round pick in the NFL. Like, you know, he went there, played and and then got another shot and made the most of it. Uh, So I think a lot of people remember the first XFL is kind of the guys that came out of it. And then obviously the 30 for 30 that came out, A couple of years ago kind of filled in a lot of like people like oh yeah that happened oh yeah that happened oh i kind of forgot about that
0: i want to you know talk about this incarnation and you were there like i said before and what was that gameplay like because obviously that's the first thing people are going to look for what was the gameplay like what is it any good football like is it is it just you know college below average college football or but what was what was the gameplay like when you were there
1: well I I will say this. I watched Saturdays, the first two games on Saturday. Well, I caught bits and pieces of both of them. And it was just noticeably slower than when you're watching the SEC or like no young big Notre Dame fan or and obviously it's slower than the NFL. But when you're there, you kind of don't really notice those kind of things. Passes look good that were completed because they're better than I am. Um, You know, they're better than I've ever been throwing the football. But, uh, I mean, it looked competent, which I think is is a good thing. You know, the names don't really jump out at you uh, as much as, you know, maybe some of the other leagues, other than the quarterbacks, which the XFL has put an emphasis on. Like, you know, Aaron Murray was playing for Tampa Bay. Like, I remember Aaron Murray playing at Georgia. Uh, Matt McGloin playing for the Guardians. He, you know, played at Penn State and and started uh, more than a handful of games in the NFL with the Raiders. So you kind of know those names. It's kind of the other ones where you're like, who is that? Where where did that person go to college? You know, and then I think Joe Horn Jr.'s son is on the Guardians. And it was like, oh, that was cool. Uh, I think why the league, the USFL, which was the one in the 80s. I got that wrong earlier. But the one with like Herschel Walker and Steve Young, like the names were there. Jim Kelly, right? Because they went out and challenged the NFL and challenged and paid these guys an absorbent amount of money. So, uh, you know, the XFL, I think, needs to go out and get some of those names or are going to need these guys to step up and make bigger names for themselves. And I think we're at the point now with football, like the, you know, the true football fan, you know, loves those low scoring defensive battles. But at the same time, you want to see points on the board. And if you want to get people to watch, you need to put a lot of points on the board and put up some crazy numbers. So I was a little surprised by not how low scoring the games were, but how not crazy high they were, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I like how you talked about how some of the former NFL players – have, you know, their sons that are, like you said, Joe Horn Jr. I saw Ricky Brohl's son was playing somewhere. Caught the first touchdown, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, those are names that you recognize. And so when they come back around in the XFL, maybe they're able to make a name for themselves. And you talk about the points, and that was something that jumped out at me too because you think about, you know, With all the different crazy ways that you can score, the scores would have been higher. So there's some of the rules that have already been talked about, the kickoff, the PATs. But what did you like as a viewer while you were there and also watching on TV? Which rules like stood out to you other than, you know, the kickoff or the PAT? The kickoff was
1: cool. Uh, I will completely be honest. I thought that was awesome. Um, I thought it was interesting when the numbers came out after and they were like, oh, no team tried a three-point try. You know, they could have been a nine point swing and you got Mark Trestman kicking a field goal when it's like, well, if you score and you go for three, it's a one score game or or whatever that was. It was like the coaches are still coaching like they're in the NFL, right? You got Kevin Gilbry, a Southern alum coaching New York, you Got Mark Trestman at Tampa Bay, um, you got all these kind of old school coaches who are still coaching like they're in the NFL and they're not going for anything and they're not you know pushing that envelope yet and i i hope eventually it does happen where you know a team goes in down you know nine and they're able to score go for three and tie the game and you're like oh my god that's so cool but until that happens i think we're all just sitting there looking at the rules being like
0: well is this gonna happen yeah because they're there but if nobody's using them what's really the point you know what i mean
1: yeah they're just kind of there and they're you're just kind of looking at them like this would be really cool if it happened but until
0: someone does it. So, what was game day like for you compared to being at an NFL game? I mean, did you tailgate at all? Was there a lot of people? So, we actually bought tickets
1: on the way there. We kept like putting it off because like they were only selling the first, you know, section one hundred at uh, at MetLife, and there were so many tickets. We were looking. We're like, ah, oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. Saturday night. We'll buy them. We didn't. Sunday morning, ah, oh, we'll buy. Em. We got in the car, started leaving. We're like, I oh, we'll probably need to buy tickets. Um, so we were able to get tickets. I think they were like 50 bucks each, uh, nothing crazy. We went, got there early, tailgated a little bit. There was a good amount of people there. Obviously when you go to like a Giants or Jets game, you know, you're tailgating it like the arena across the street and you have to, you know, in other parking lots, like everyone was like short walking distance to, uh, to the entrance. Um, but there were people throwing the football, grilling, you know, hanging out, um, not as crazy as, you know, an NFL game, but still a pretty good group of people. Um, the, the thing that really stood out to me was all the different jerseys, right? They're cowboy jerseys, Giants jerseys. There was a Johnny Manziel jersey, Jets jerseys, uh, Patriot jerseys. It was like a collection of just football fans, you know, like instead of like guardians fans.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I don't even see how you could have XFL Guardian fans yet. It's only week one. A lot of people, whether Jets, Giants, Patriot fan, whatever you may be, you still kind of haven't picked a team yet. So after going, are the Guardians kind of the team that you're leaning towards? Yeah, I mean, I I think
1: I picked them before just because they're from New York, and I'm originally from New York, um, and I live in Connecticut now, so it's the closest one. But uh, I think there was a lot of people there just wanted to see more football, which... You know, in New York right now, I think New York is starving for a competent football team. You know, what we've seen uh, as Giants and Jed fans over the past, you know, handful of years, where, like, you just want something to cheer for as opposed to booing. I mean, that's what I went into, and I even tweeted out, like, Matt McGloin threw, like, a really nice over-the-shoulder pass, and I was like, is Matt McGloin the best quarterback in New York, um, which is definitely not true at all it was like you were actually like rooting for it. Like I went to the Giants-Bills game week two. Uh, Eli was starting, and, you know, I love Eli. But, you know, other than the first, you know, drive, you're sitting there and you're like, do something. You're like poking him with a stick. Do something, guys. And in this game, like the Guardians were doing something. They were scoring, and it was fun to root for a team that was competing for once.
0: Yeah, and speaking uh, from a Jet fan's perspective, it probably is nice to see somebody actually doing something. <laughs> yeah like don't get me wrong man It, it uh,
1: uh saquon barkley is obviously one of the most special talents in the nfl and he might not have the uh the crew around him the last couple of years to really showcase that but it was the first time in a while when like you know in the giants had odell beckham uh, you know every time they were on tv win or lose you watched for him right you watched to see what crazy thing is he going to do whether it's a one-handed catch or a two foot uh you know two foot down toe tap over a guy or or catching a slant and going 90 yards and you just haven't really had that with the giants you know this year even the year before when he was hurt and you're just kind of like it's not even fun like i watch red zone i don't even watch the giants like you know maybe if the are on at one o'clock i'll throw the game on for the first quarter and then they'll be down 14 nothing or punting seven times and i'm like all right i'm going to red zone how is Patrick Mahomes doing for my fantasy team
0: (laughs) you're actually like retelling my whole fantasy uh, my (laughs) whole football season just from a Jets point of view
1: oh I all my you know my close friends from home we have a a text group and you know all four there's five of us in and I'm the only Giants fan and and they're Jets fans and usually right around like two o'clock or like oh did you see that crazy catch by uh by Juju Schuster. And it's like, oh, you're watching that game too? You're not watching the Jets? Yeah, I'm not watching the Giants either. And if the Guardians are, you know, anything remotely competent, but like, I think they were one of the favorites to win it all. So, I mean, if they're good, I'm sure people, you know, that's the thing. If you're good, people are going to show up. I think that's what it comes down to. If you're egregiously bad, I don't think people would show up, especially in a market like New York, you know, where you're You know, you're playing in Jersey, the market's New York, so you're getting fans from New York, New Jersey and Connecticut, you know, lower Connecticut.
0: And that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on here while we still got the time, Pete, because not only will people come out for a competitor, but also for a good product. And the XFL has, in my opinion, done a lot to really put out a good product. I mean, whether it's the betting, whether it's the TV deal, whether it's trying to focus around the quarterbacks, the the on field interviews after a big play but what does the xfl in your opinion have to do to make this thing work past just one season
1: i you know it it really has to be the product and it has to be the names and you know the nfl is the nfl the nfl you know has has taken over a day of the week right i mean they've taken over sundays that's literally the nfl's day no matter what like it's like during, you know, high school football season, I'm working, you know, Monday to Saturday, right? And Sunday's like my one day off. And I'm just like, I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to watch the NFL, right? No matter what. And for the XFL, we've seen these te- these leagues fail constantly. And whether it's, there's a couple of things that they can do, uh, getting talent or promoting their talent. Like they have to promote their talent like you look at just the guardians alone and you're like all right they have matt mcgloin and uh as a you know connecticut person who works in media i know who jamar summers is the cornerback right because he went to yukon but my three friends who i went with had no idea who summers was but again i know him because of working in connecticut now they need to get more i think more names or promote their guys who they have to make them household names But, and this is what the AAF tried to do or whatever that league was, the Allianz, whatever it was, they tried to be a a feeder for the NFL, right? And I think that's a great way to do it. You know, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I think, you
0: know, remember, I don't know if you remember NFL Europe. Vaguely, to be honest with you, I know I'm dating myself there, but I do vaguely remember NFL Europe, like the team out in Berlin and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Well, they were in the Madden game. That's really, I think it was like Madden 2000, the one with like Ray Lewis on the cover. I was like, they had like the NFL Europe teams and they were all terrible, but it was all guys that like each, I think it was like the Berlin team was like connected to like five or six NFL teams. Right. And they would sign guys to like future contracts and have them play in this league, which was out of season from the NFL. So if those guys were good in the league, showed that they could play a little bit, then they would get invited to camp or sign an NFL contract. Now, there was only a handful of them that actually made that transition. But I think if the XFL and again, I I don't know what the rules are, but like if Trevor Lawrence decided, hey, I'm going to go get paid and I think uh, XFL quarterbacks can get up to five hundred thousand dollars. I think they're the highest paid players in the XFL and with certain bonuses, I believe they can get up to $500,000. If Trevor Lawrence is like, hey, I'm going to go play for whatever team, right? Tampa Bay Vipers for this season and sit out, you know, and sit out the college season and then get drafted. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying, you know, him specifically, but just guys like that, where it's like, well, I'm going to leave college because I'm not getting paid. On the record, you know, I'm not getting paid (laughs) for my job Uh, and you go and you play in the XFL and prepare for, you know, the draft or a shot in training camp and you get those kind of guys. I think it has the possibility to work, but I just think if they're taking the guys who can't make an NFL roster, you know, those uh, in baseball, you call them like the quadruple A players you know, the guys who are too good for Triple A but can't crack it in the major leagues. If that's who you're going to put out weekend and, you know, every week, I don't know if it's going to be successful. You, you know, I, I think they need that name, a couple of names that people are going to, you know, tune into, you know, Matt McGloin and Aaron Murray are names that I know, but they weren't great in college. They were good enough to go to the NFL, but you know, it's not like, Getting a guy who, like, you remember, uh, again, I I might be dating myself, but, like, Eric Crouch, right, quarterback in Nebraska, won the Heisman Trophy in, I think, 2001, um, was a running quarterback who could sling, but he was too small to play quarterback in the NFL, got drafted as a wide receiver, played over in NFL Europe as a receiver. He won the Heisman. If the XFL came, and said, hey, Eric, we're going to let you play quarterback in the XFL, you know, that's a name that people are going to know. Tim Tebow that's an even better example. It's more updated example where like he didn't really work out in the NFL. After a couple of years, you go to the XFL and Tim Tebow's playing quarterback. You know, People tune in to watch Tim Tebow. Uh, You know, you know how many people go to the yard goats games to see him when he was with the Mets minor league team. I'm not a Tim Tebow baseball fan. I just, I, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of him playing baseball and, you know, taking away a spot from a guy who's been playing baseball his whole life. And, you know, Tim's not that good. But, you know, people, they still sell out. He still sells Mets jerseys and, you know, maybe he will probably never play for the Mets. But if you tell me that Tim Tebow is a starting quarterback for the New York Guardians, you're not going to get people who are just going to go tune in just to see Tim Tebow light it up like he did when he was at Florida.
0: I think that you not only are going to get people that do that, and I I liked when you brought up the Trevor Lawrence thing because if the XFL can get guys that are big-name guys in college, like let's imagine if they got, let's say, Tua this past season. Tua Tungavailoa, he's going to probably be a top-five pick in the NFL draft. But if Tua... Doesn't play that last year at Alabama, or Trevor Lawrence says, you know, next year he doesn't want to pay play for free at Clemson. He can go on and play at the XFL, or like you said, if Tim Tebow was going into the NFL and couldn't write, really cut it and goes into the XFL that way, these are names that people are going to recognize. It's that name recognition that's going to draw eyes to the TV screens to watch these kind of games. And I'm really curious to see if some of these college guys really make the jump to the XFL while they're still you know, developing. Is it going to hurt their game? Do you think it's going to hurt their draft status? I think about how in the NBA some of these guys that are playing in high school don't want to play in college. They go and play overseas. And yep. that could really be akin to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I think the most notable like NBA
1: one recently was Brend was Brendan Jennings, right?
0: Yeah, Brendan Jennings, he did it for a little while. Now you got guys like uh, Lamelo Ball, uh, Lonzo Ball's little brother. He's the big name guy that's playing overseas. I think he's playing in Australia now or Austria, or something yeah. like that. And he's a guy that is you know projected to be a top three pick in the NBA draft. And you, I think something like that could work if you're looking at college football.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting outlet. Where you know, I think the waters are obviously very new, and, and they have to be tested to see what the reception will be. Like you said, will it help or hurt their their uh, their status? You need to make sure where where this falls in terms of skill level, right? Before you decide whether you know if a guy leaves, you know, let's say Trevor Lawrence leaves Clemson and he goes in the XFL and throws for fifty touchdowns, well. What does that mean? You, you, you know what I mean? Like, is that good or should he have thrown 70 touchdowns if he's that much better? I think we need to figure out kind of where the XFL is because, look, you're not going to compete. Obviously, they're not competing with the NFL because the season starts after. So how is it going to fit in? Is it just going to be for people who are gambling fans? I mean, I have a bunch of friends who are like, who gamble on the games, who like, You know, are are into the over under and the and the spread and and all that stuff. And you're kind of just like sitting there and you're like, are you guys going to do this every week? Like, are there enough of those people? And gambling and betting on sports has become very acceptable in our sports viewing ship over the last couple of years. You know, Scott Van Pelt does his best beats. Uh, or bad beats, I'm sorry, all the like gamblers who listen to this are just going to be like, "Wow, what a noob." Um, but you know, like are, are there enough of them who are going to be betting on the XFL that are going to be able to draw them in every week to keep them afloat until something happens where they break out. That's the interesting thing. They didn't do a fantasy league, which I thought was interesting cuz fantasy football is such a big part of the NFL fans experience. You know, like you draft, I never draft any giants. Like the only giants I ever draft on my team was Beckham. You know, I think I picked up Darius Slayton in my dynasty league cause he was playing really well. And I'm like, I'm like trying to trade him now. Cause I was like, if I have to watch you while playing fantasy, I'm just going to get so mad. But like, you know, you, you start to watch those other teams because of your fantasy team. You know, you start Ronald Jones for some reason, you're watching the Tampa Bay game being like, James, don't turn the ball over, hand the ball off to Ronald. You know, and then they give Peyton Barber a a, a goal line carry and you're freaking out. But, but I thought that was so bizarre that they didn't do an XFL fantasy league.
0: The reason why I don't think they did a fantasy league is the reason why I don't think people should be betting on this kind of thing. Because you don't know who any of these players are. You don't know who's good. You're just looking at, like, the Vegas money lines. But I don't even know how Vegas is coming up with these money lines, like, at least not in the first week. I understand <laughs> why it's there. I understand that people are going to be betting on it and people are going to be doing that kind of thing. But... I, I think it's a little premature to you know throw money down on somebody that I've never heard of and be like, all right, let's see if uh, this wins me some money.
1: I think Vegas knows all. I, I think I that's the one thing I've learned is Vegas apparently knows all.
0: <laughs> so they might have the right people for it. That's a good way to go about it, to be honest with you. So, Pete, I want to get you out on this last question really quick. And it, it sounds like there's a lot of. Things moving around here. A lot of moving pieces with the XFL. I think I'm still going to tune in, but would you go to another game? Like, are you going to, are you planning on getting season tickets to the Guardians or something like that? Well, look,
1: I'll be honest with you. We did look at them because we're like, we're looking at some of these tickets and it's like 120. Like we were just like looking and it's like $120. I'm like, who the heck's going to pay $120 to go to one of these games? Like week one in these crazy sheets. I I was on the phone with my friend. He was looking them up. I was like, yeah, like how much? how much are are season tickets? So he looks them up and he's like 175 per seat. Right. So it's like, I think it's something like $35 a ticket for five games. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, you know, a lot of the games are on Saturday. Um, so that kind of conflicts with my work schedule. Um, so I wouldn't, but uh, they were offering them at, at MetLife being like a hundred dollars for the next, you get tickets to the next four games. Which is the rest of the regular season. So it's not crazy to buy um, you know, season tickets. I don't think I will be buying them. Um, but I, you know, if I was off on a weekend and and, you know, buddy was like, hey, let's go again. That was fun. I mean, look, you go to you go to a bar, you go to a restaurant, you have a couple of beers and you watch the game, right? I mean, that's a, a common thing that people do, especially around our age, where it's like, okay, you can go to a game. It's not that expensive to go. I mean, the beers are a little bit more expensive, but the at, the atmosphere, you know, you're kind of paying for a better atmosphere. So who knows? I would definitely go again. But, you know,
0: we'll see. All right. Great, Pete, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me here on Degree of Difficulty. Again, guys, Pete Paguaga, senior producer for Game Time CT, talking a little bit of XFL. He was there at MetLife Stadium this past weekend watching New York Guardians. So I guess I'm going to end up having to be a Guardians fan. What do you think, Pete?
1: yeah man I I think you have to I, I think as a Connecticut native I think they're the team that you have to pick
0: alright well there you go made my job a lot easier <laughs> alright Pete man thank you so much for
1: joining us Aaron thank you so much for having me on man it was really good to talk and catch up with you
0: Well, that's going to do it for me this week. I want to give a big thank you again to Pete Paguaga. If you haven't already checked out all the great high school sports coverage the crew over at Game Time CT does, make sure you check them out at GameTimeCT.com and follow them on Twitter at GameTimeCT. And while you're at it, you might as well go ahead and follow Degree of Difficulty on Twitter at Degree of D. Subscribe to Degree of Difficulty wherever you get your podcast. Drop a review, rate five stars, you know, all of that good stuff. Until then, have a great weekend, everybody. Have a great Valentine's Day, and I'll be back next week to chop it up some more. Peace.